thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode and another series of From A to Gen Z. Jale, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to you as well. I see you're um, you're sipping a little Pepsi there as a celebratory series two drink, which okay. I absolutely rate because have you ever seen those pictures of the famous Pepsi ad of 2004, which featured Beyonce, Britney Spears and Pink all in the same advert? I have not I seen. That sounds iconic. <laughs> It's the most iconic. I don't think I've seen the actual advert. I've just seen like behind the scenes pics, but we're channeling that energy right here, right now. Yeah. We're bringing the max with this Pepsi can Pepsi max. <laughs> anyway, how was your holiday? It's been a little while since we've It has been. It's been ages. Well, it's been good. We're just reveling in the news of the vaccine being underway. My mum got her vaccine today. Oh my God. So exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. My dad it's also got his today. Snap. <gasps> Oh my god, cute! Yeah, we've got um, we've actually got bubbly in the fridge to celebrate the first vaccination oh. of the fam. So that's a big moment, and um, that's exciting. Otherwise, I'm kind of entering that phase of lockdown life where things are really fraying at the edges, and by things I mean my hair. My <laughs> hair is at terrible stage at the moment. Last time, last time I saw my sister, she she came round for um for a pavement chat, and I like stuck my head out the door. And she said I look like Louis Tomlinson from One Direction. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Which is horrible because it was so accurate. Like, it's just, my fringe is out of control. It's like flopping all around the place. But the only other option is to pin it way back. And then it's like scraped and greasy. It's a lose-lose. I hate it. It is so hard. It's been so long since we've been able to go to the hairdresser. And especially yeah. for short hair people like you. Like, you guys need regular trims. I know, I need a regular trim. Because also, it gets to this weird stage where it becomes, it's like, when it goes to the side parting, it's the energy of, like, a kind of romantic heroine from a period drama, mm. but without any of the kind of flow of that style. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just static, and it's just bad. It's just bad, bad, bad. Speaking of uh, the side fringe, or was it side parting? Have you seen all the like backlash against Gen Z's opinion that side partings make you look old? What do you think? I, I want to know. Well, that's why it's making me really self-conscious about my terrible hair because I feel like I just cannot have a side parting at this moment in time because people will look at me and think that I'm old. Yeah, like, that is what I think, and it's true though because when we were when we were like 12, that was peak side parting, I'd say. Yeah. I remember when people, they used to have it like above the opposite ear and then swept all the way around. The yeah, it side. was a swoop. It was a full yeah. like it hair full over the swoop. eye. That was cool. The emo Yeah, that was, that was the most cool you could ever look in your life. And now we've come full circle and it's like center parting all the way. If I do a center parting at this stage, I'd literally have curtains. Which, yeah, to be you honest, would be like a I, bra boy, you know. Hugo, um, Hugo, Hugh Grant vibes, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, which I do respect in some ways, but I just don't want that for myself. You know? Yeah. Even actually, at the moment, even when I travel at speed, like if I'm walking quite fast, my hair just naturally does the curtains just because of airflow, and even that is too far. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, on a personal level, it stresses me out because I'm in this hair stage. But otherwise, these things come in cycles. So, you know, it's fair enough that, that centre partings are having their time now. But what do you think? Does it stress you out? Um, yeah, full disclosure, I did move my parting. <laughs> it was basically, it was slightly to the side and I've moved it slightly more central. Um, but I, I feel like because I've got such haggard vibes, like I've got a lot of hair, no one really cares about the parting because like you just don't, I think people don't notice it. But maybe that's just because I love I your don't... hair. I think I've said this before. You. Your hair is literally my ideal hair. Oh, like so cute. wavy and just beautiful and dark. Oh, it's so basically good. a ball of frizz, and it just doesn't do anything. But it's quite good with my hair because you can't, you don't really notice the cut because there's just a lot of hair and it's curly. So it can be quite irregular, which it is because my mom cut it in May and it still has not been tidied up. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just gonna wait that's... now. That's what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get my mum to cut my hair, but 
I just need to ease her into it you know I think she's really stressed of doing something drastic and then it going terribly wrong which doesn't really bother me to be honest because no one's seeing me and I just want my fringe out of my eyes so I can graduate from this Louis Tomlinson phase (laughs) no offense to Louis Tomlinson it's just personally not my style (laughs) anyway back to the pod it's great to be here we've had um a long break and We've got lots of really cool stuff to talk about and a brand new segment that we are introducing, which is the Agony Aunt segment. We've decided that we are more than qualified to dish out unsolicited advice to all and sundry. So if you have a um, question that you would like our advice on, it can be ridiculous, it can be serious, it can be very emotional. it can be silly. We have, um, we released the Agony Art email address to a select few. So we have some questions that we're going to be tackling for the next few episodes. Um, but we will spread the address to our listeners and then you can mail in with any questions that you may have that you'd like to hear our thoughts on. I'm so excited for this. It's basically my lifelong dream to be an Agony on and we're just fulfilling it. I'm just so excited. So yeah, please um, get thinking about your dilemmas. We want to hear yeah, them, guys. We want to exactly. help. <laughs> yeah, we do want to help. I think we'll we'll give out the email address next episode. We'll get some people some time to think about what they want to ask, to think about, you know, what can we provide for them? That's the <laughs> real question. <laughs> um, but we've got a really good example for today. So that's great. Okay, cool. Let's crack on. So what fun things have you been watching, Connie? Anything you want to chat to me about? So recently I've been watching one of my favourite series of anything. It is the one, the only RuPaul's Drag Race UK. (laughs) Um, Now I know you're not a Drag Race fan, um, Char, which does sadden me to my very core. (laughs) Yeah, um, but a lot, yeah, no worries, no worries. It's not for everyone. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot of people out there listening might well know it, so don't want to bore you too much. But um, this is the second series of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, so um, people might know it's a very popular like US franchise, and they've been uh, there's currently thirty. The thirteenth series is currently airing over on the US side they've also done a Canadian one I think they're expanding to potentially like Thailand it's going global guys drag it's amazing worldwide yes so you can catch up with I think there have been five episodes now on iPlayer a great lockdown watch I would recommend uh yeah so I'm a I'm a drag race super fan and I was introduced to it by (laughs) my flatmate at uni so I've watched I think I've watched series four to twelve and now I'm watching series 13 sorry season 13 in America and UK season two so simultaneously yeah so there's two series going on at the at the same time right now Um, and there's actually been a lot of comparison on like insta memes and stuff between the two series and people are loving the UK one like all the American queens are loving it much more than the US really yeah so tea there oh my god um yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, it's a competition where drag queens compete to become the UK or the USA's next drag race superstar. Um, so in America, they actually win $100,000. But in the UK, because the series is aired on, on BBC Three, they're not allowed to advertise like a monetary prize, I think, because of like um, oh. no advertising and no sponsorship and stuff. So they win the chance to make a web series um, with the BBC, I think. like a, Oh. One of them. Yeah, it's definitely not as good. Um, and also when they win a challenge in America, they win like... Um, sometimes like a ten thousand dollar tip, but in the UK they win a Rue Peter badge, which is basically just oh. a badge. <laughs> so yeah, not quite as good. Um, That's so British, though. I kind of love that. Yeah, I kind of love that people still compete, even though the stakes are so low. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess it's really good for exposure. Um, yeah, but uh, like just on what you were saying about it being so British, it literally is so British because um, Rue basically plays, Rue Paul basically plays on all these super cliched British like humour and British stereotypes. So one of the mini challenges, they had to like dance around a maypole, for example. Um, They, in the acting challenge, they um, recreated a scene from Downton Abbey, which was called Downton Draggy. And in the Snatch Game, which is basically a, it's like a play on the match game, which I'd never heard of, but they do like an impersonation of a celebrity. Uh, so in that, instead of like typically American characters or American celebrities, even um, they use like really 
um, classic British um, figures like yeah. Margaret Thatcher, Kim Woodburn. Um, this year, Katie Price was. Yeah, I've seen. I was about to say, I've seen the clip of the Katie Price one, which was incredible. It was, it was so really funny. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically it. It's like um, it might not appeal. That was one of the things I was going to say. It might not naturally appeal because like I've never seen a, a drag show in real life and I'm obviously not like, oh, really? LGBTQ no it's not like it wouldn't necessarily oh, so be I, a thing I used to go to them quite regularly at uni which is really? why this is yeah really interesting but it was a very different mood I think at uni to the Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race stuff I think partly because I often used to see them um performing when they were kind of introducing acts so it was okay. kind of almost more the drag queens were somewhere between like a comedy stand-up like with all the glam and the kind of padding and the contouring and stuff whereas RuPaul's Drag Race like the competition element just seems very foreign to me <laughs> yeah it is a bit weird to like combine drag with a competition because it's kind of yeah cause it, especially because the performers are so different like there's a whole thing of being a look queen or a comedy queen and that's quite a big um like quite a big juxtaposition really because some of them mm. are, are really one way or the other like they, they're very into the fashion they're very into the makeup and some of them especially the British ones are like really old school camp um yeah and like kind of dress up like old fat in an old-fashioned and unflattering yeah. way because it's funny whereas yeah. some are like very much in it for the fashion okay that's um, interesting but that's why I think there might well be something in there for everyone not obviously it's not going to appeal to every single person out there but mm. there is a lot of comedy there's like acting they perform they're singing um, and just in general, because they're performers, it's super entertaining because every week they just do funny things and they yeah. do it well, you know, it's their, it's their job. And in lockdown, yeah. you don't really get to see a show. Um, so it's kind of like quite a good substitute, I would say. Yeah, I feel like it fills the kind of strictly gap in the British consciousness where it's like the glitz and the glamour and the entertainment and a little bit of scandal on the side when we can stomach it, you know, it's all, it's all good. Yeah, there's definitely drama. They have like a spin-off show, Untucked, which is the queens like when they kick back and relax after the show. And there's a lot of drama often, like fights break out, etc., etc. So Do yeah, you also it's quite watch good. That every um, week? In the so for the UK version, that is just part of the show because they haven't done like a okay, separate yeah. one. The US version, they haven't released them all on Netflix. I probably would have, um, but sometimes they can be a bit boring, like because it is just them chatting um I but love often your commitment to drama. I I love it I really love it and sometimes I've re I've re-watched a couple of seasons twice because like, I really oh, like those queens yeah I'm so into it um so if you hadn't given it a go I would recommend why not try the the UK series it's a bit more like toilet humor and slapstick than the American um <laughs> version but it is definitely worth a go some great British humor things so check it out yeah, that's that sounds incredible. And what about um are there any particular competitors that you're supporting this season? That's a really good question. I don't want to give any spoilers of who's been eliminated, but just in general, um I've really enjoyed Tia Coffee. <laughs> that's a good name. Um, although her outfits have been a bit lacking. Uh, oh somebody who I didn't love to start with, but who's definitely been growing on me is Bimini Bomboulash, who was Katie Price in the Snatch Game. Yeah. <laughs> Good name again. And initially, just like I just didn't think she was my kind of queen. She seemed quite like East End and like, I don't know, just something I wasn't sure about. But she's really coming into her own. And mm. she had a great chat with one of the other competitors about being non-binary, which apparently has helped multiple viewers come out to their family as non-binary, which oh. is very sweet. Yeah. That is really good. I was about to say, it's really good that a show about drag queens is on the BBC. I mean, mm. I just feel like that's a real that's a real step in a, in a positive and life-affirming direction. And also, I think what you were saying about that you don't particularly expect it of yourself, that you'd be into it because you're not part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. I think that's really nice as well because it's quite, I don't know if accessible is the right word, but it's quite a fun way into those kinds of you know, experiences that other people have had growing up or experiences with their sexuality or gender identity. It's quite like, it's yeah, it's accessible and you can see that it's fun and games and they're joking around and it's comedic and it's performative. So I think that's really nice that they're broadcasting that on a service that's for the whole nation because I just think it's a, it's a positive step, isn't it? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, it does a lot of like really important cultural stuff like bringing something that was so 
marginalised into the mainstream. Yeah. Um, but like in such a lighthearted way, I think it really has helped a lot of people. And they often have really poignant conversations on the show, especially in the US um, seasons, like about drag queens whose parents have disowned them and who've been like kicked out, who've had really bad mm. um, addictions and stuff like that. So it, it kind of handles the really serious element of, of drag and like of being kind of like LGBT, marginalised mm. from society. Um, but kind of brings it in to the mainstream in such a fun way and makes it accessible for people and it would just hopefully make it easier um, for straight people to kind of relate to that whole yeah. culture, which is should, yeah. should be brought to the light, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's nice that you talk about there's really clear, almost national stereotyping in the American versus British versions because that's quite nice that you feel, it makes you feel quite involved in a, in a sort of national identity sense if they're making these jokes and their reference points are also Katie Price and Margaret Thatcher and things that wouldn't necessarily resonate with an American audience it's nice that the sense of community almost expands to like the national level and isn't isn't drawn a lot I'm not saying like you know like I'm not being nationalistic but <laughs> it's nice that the feeling that the community has expanded to include everyone in the nation as opposed to drawing these lines along sexuality or gender identity I think that can be a really positive thing and I think British humour is one of the very few things that I do feel quite patriotic about so it's quite nice that as a unifying factor is a really good angle for them to take as a show and I love that RuPaul's like embraced that wholeheartedly with the Maypole stuff <laughs> yeah he really has he really has um <laughs> Yeah, so I definitely recommend. Uh, let me know if you've watched it, and let me know who your faves are. If anyone, I think I. Yeah, I think I'm going to start now because you've honestly you've inspired me there with your fandom. I'm I'm in it all the way. Why not? Give it a go. You might love it. You might love it. What else has been entertaining you these past few weeks? So weirdly enough, I've actually got another competition style TV show. <laughs> um, not usually my favourite genre, but um, just happened to crop up in the old TV guide. Um, no, I actually don't read a TV guide. I'm not like 100 years old. That's it. You have a physical TV guide. I can imagine you <laughs> no. sitting in your armchair getting out the TV guide. Um, no, guys, I actually don't have a TV guide. My mum, I think my mum saw some stuff about it on Twitter, so she recommended it. I love um, your mum on Twitter. Sorry, this is a side note. <laughs> I literally love your mum on Twitter. The stuff she likes is so funny. The tweet which said, bitches call me Baddington because I'm so nasty. <laughs> <laughs> which was exactly. done by Paddington Bear. Um, Jar sent me because my mum had liked it. And it's just funny because that's the exact same thing that I would find hilarious. I know. <laughs> and that was what I found so sweet about it. Because you don't you don't think of sense of humour being like running through families as if like it's a physical trait, but it totally does work that way. So like obviously your mum's hilarious Twitter habits would reflect the things that I find hilarious about you. I just loved it. Love yeah. it. Um, but back to the great pottery throwdown. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I'm just loving it. It's a yeah, like I said, it's a competition. It's to find the UK's best amateur potter. So it's very similar in format to um, Great British Bake Off. Um, but I have tried a few other like rip-offs of the GBBO format. Um, for example, the Great British Sewing Bee, which I found quite boring. So I was kind of surprised that I liked the pottery throwdown and I was thinking like I wasn't really sure about it before I started, but I am loving it. Um, so I, I read a review of it that called um, in the Guardian that called it the mildest, strangest, and kindest of the format. So of the like Bake Off format. I think that's what I would like to be described as, just as a person. Aww. The mildest, strangest, <laughs> and kindest. <laughs> to be fair, it is is quite strange, but it is it's very mild. It's very kind, and also it's very creative, which is the thing I really like okay, about it. Okay, interesting. Why is um, it why is it strange? It's strange because um, pottery is weird. Basically, like <laughs> pottery is a very niche um, hobby, and unlike baking, which kind of anyone could do, like obviously you have to have a bit of equipment. But pottery, like you have to have full on. Like you'd have to have yeah. a pottery wheel. You'd have to have a lot of clay. You'd have to have access to a kiln. You'd have to have mm. like um, glazes and stuff to to use. So it's like it's not the kind of thing that anybody could do. And these people are really good at it. And then the other so aspect... They, and is, is potting the same as... That's different to painting, or is it both go together? Um, it's not very much about painting and, and decorating 
the pots it's more about the actual process of making it although there okay. definitely is decoration in there um because i once not to sort of put my oar <laughs> in here but i did once uh paint a mug and it is rather um, fetching and i still have it to this day like in a ceramic cafe kind of thing okay yeah you, you don't mean? need to be fussy about it <laughs> Like in a sorry, sorry. Cafe. <laughs> I take it back. Yes, it was. It was in a ceramic cafe. I just asked. <laughs> um, yeah, I vaguely remember um, those kind of parties being very lit at a particular time in, in primary and secondary Oh, no, school. this was a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, Honestly, sorry. I made sorry. this man a couple of years ago. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Jamie, so you should be talking, <laughs> talking to me about pottery. <laughs> okay sorry I keep interrupting you no, no um, you were talking about how you have to have the, the kiln and why it's strange yeah the other reason why it's strange is basically because the stuff they create is often kind of weird um and like something that you wouldn't really either want or need no offense <laughs> but like one <laughs> one week they made uh like models of um musical instruments and they've made like clay um clay architectural structures which was actually one of my favorite weeks so they made like either a model of a house or uh someone made like a windmill um somebody made like a, a boat fit what was it yeah it was a whale it was like a house on a whale it was really cool um but yeah they're quite weird and like not things that you would think of so that, that's why it's kind of creative because they obviously mm -hmm. really use their imagination but yeah not really practical things or like things that you would eat yeah. like in the bake off it's just a bit like what is that <laughs> how are you going to use that babes but it's still pretty cool <laughs> um yeah and then they also did something called like naked raccoon um which i'm sorry <laughs> I know it sounds really weird. Um, it involves heating the pottery up to 800 degrees and then you like scorch it and put like put objects on it and it kind of creates this weird smoky decoration effects. Um, wow. It's crazy. Like, you've, you know, you would never think of anything like that um, as a hobby. But yeah, wow. it, it looks really cool. The effect was really cool. But again, dangerous. And like, how would you practice this? Like, who has access to these insane temperatures? And anyway. Um, so, they have to, so they have to put the objects on it to, to create a different surface texture on the pot when the pot is 800 degrees. Yeah, so they're holding the pot in this what? flame burner cupboard thing with like a I don't know some kind of tongs and then they like hold up the feathers or whatever to scorch them on it's actually insane to watch I, I think you'd really like it John, to be honest it's very creative <laughs> um and sometimes it's very creative and <laughs> Um, I know you like a good spoon rest so you know <laughs> I, do, I do love my spoon rest oh um yeah and then also sometimes sometimes the the kind of creations will have something to do with a personal memory or like their background um and that's quite cute and it's always nice to see kind of somebody's personality yeah. reflected in their creation yeah which they also do really well on Bake Off I've also only seen I think I've only seen one advert for the great pottery throwdown but I realized that it has the nun from Derry Girls in it yes as the presenter that is another <laughs> amazing element of um the pottery throw down Siobhan, yeah. Siobhan McSweeney I think her name is um, she plays Sister Michael in Dairy Girls um, yeah. and she's absolutely hilarious she's really good because um, that's something that I don't like as much about the Bake Off when they got rid of Mel and Sue um, uh, yeah. I'm not such a big fan of their presenters um, but Siobhan is really funny and she's also like a really nice because she's not playing a character but she, in the pottery throw down so she's just a nice person she has like a, yeah. a very sort of uh, calming presence but she makes actually yeah. funny jokes so the kind of bits in between the pottery aren't that awkward like haha that they are in the bagel because yeah. she's actually funny uh no shade to the bagel does she, does she have any connection to pottery or is she just like a gem that they i don't think so I think, yeah i think she's just a gem mm, um, love it. yeah and then they also have two judges one is richard miller and the other is this guy called i think he's called keith Brimmer Jones or Burma Jones um and he's so sweet he like cries all the time when they make really good pots um, oh my god which is so sweet I've never seen anything like it to be honest like even on the bake-off they would never cry when a cake was good but he really no. he'll well up and like his voice breaks it's so cute to watch like it almost makes you tear up over pottery and like, I don't really care about pottery um <laughs> But it's just a great show. He obviously adores the pottery and that kind of element of like their creativeness and their passion mixed with the judges being really 
passionate about it is really yeah. nice to watch um and I think nice for lockdown to just see people like really uh displaying their natural creativity and stuff yeah. like that um so yeah I would recommend I think that you like sounds it. so lovely well I need to graduate from the ceramic cafe ASAP <laughs> to get myself onto the great pottery throwdown catch you doing some naked raccoon next series <laughs> <laughs> so Jar, we have to talk about um the netflix event of you know arguably of the year um of the season no less <laughs> yeah the phenomenon that was bridgerton <laughs> yeah bridgerton so anyone was talking about um over the christmas period as we're talking about this i'm finding it really difficult not to parody the way they talk on the show because mm. the, their sentences they go on forever and they're so convoluted but i'll try just to speak in normal plain english and not say silly things anyway um so yeah bridgerton set in the high society of regency era london which is the early 19th century i believe um and it follows the aristocratic bridgerton family you have about umpteen siblings in it oh, there are like eight of them yeah it's crazy it's crazy and also uh, later on in the season a sister comes back into the narrative who i didn't even know existed yeah i thought that was a bit weird low-key like why did they bother with that plot she just came and did nothing like just leave her out babes <laughs> <laughs> no offense to hyacinth uh, but you really contributed nothing to my viewing experience <laughs> hyacinth cut down left right and center by connie there um yeah so but the main focus of this season is on daphne who uh comes out as a debutante in this in these first few episodes and the narrative is basically that she's trying to snag the best husband she can find on the marriage market um and the drama of the series is propelled by an anonymous author of a scandalous gossip sheet who calls herself lady whistledown um who is essentially just a massive shit stirrer in the high <laughs> society of kind of london's aristocratic families um and it's real gossip girl vibes in terms of the voiceover and the snakiness and all of that. But she's voiced by Julie Andrews, yeah. which is crazy. So there you go, Julie Andrews. Pure voice, but sneaky of scandal. That doesn't make <laughs> sense, but you know what I'm going for. Um, yeah, so it made a real impact in the media. Loads of people were talking about its racially diverse casting, which I think is just long overdue for period dramas. Like, also, I don't know if you've been watching The Great on Channel 4 with Elle Fanning, which is about um, Catherine the Great, who was Empress of Russia. Mm. But that also has a, a racially diverse cast, and it's cast racially blind. So I think things are moving in the right direction, and it doesn't make any difference to the viewing experience. Like, it's just yeah. better all round. Mm. Um, but it also, Bridgerton also made um, ripples for it. It's quite an oh gosh, I can't say the word, anachronistic, <laughs> there we go, for its anachronistic portrayal of sex, because one of the major plot lines is basically how women had no idea about sex before they got married. Mm -hmm. um, but also, there's kind of, there's a focus on female pleasure in sex, which even though it's historically inaccurate, I just found quite refreshing, because I hate watching that, I've seen so many scenes in period dramas and otherwise, of just, like, horrible women having yeah. not, no idea what's going to happen and then it's really stressful and traumatic and I just don't want to see that. So um, I, I appreciated that they kind of just consciously decided to make it a bit more light and unrealistic but fun. Um, although <laughs> the main thing it became known for in the show is that there's a scene where they basically really managed to sexualize a spoon because the main love interest just like he doesn't even lick it. He just kind of like rolls it around his mouth and makes intense eye contact. It's insane. Um, and there's also essentially a whole episode, which is a montage of a married couple, no spoilers, I won't say who, just having sex in various locations of a country manor. They do it in the library. They do it on a ladder. They do it in the stairs. They do it in the window. They do it on the grounds. Honestly, anywhere you could think of, appropriate or inappropriate, they christen it, as it were, with the consummation of their union. So that's basically my roundup of the show. Um, I think we wanted to talk about how we found um, the diverse casting because we both had the, the same thought process around it, um, which is essentially that we love that they chose to 
to have a diverse cast, but I don't understand how they decided to feature that because they treat race really inconsistently in the show. And that's what I had my issue with in that for the first few episodes, like three episodes or so, you assume it's racially blind, i.e. race doesn't matter at all. Um, because no one mentions race or says anything about it or seems to notice it at all. Um, and then there's a really unexpected conversation between the Duke of Hastings, who's the main love interest, and Lady Danbury, um, who are both black characters. And Lady Danbury in this scene seems to imply that society is only racially integrated because the king at the time married a black woman because um, the queen is played by a black actress. Um, and she says, we were two separate societies divided by colour until a king fell in love with one of us. And I just found that really confusing because up to that point, you just don't notice it at all. And yeah. you've understood that it, that it features in the plot an insignificant thing. And then suddenly you're like, okay, is this like a utopian vision of the past or like if it if desegregation happens so quickly in the society, why is it left no trace on how the characters interact? Is it meant to be an alternative history? I've heard a few of the actors who were involved with it on various kind of press appearances. They're saying that there was like a rumor that the queen at the time was of Ar African heritage. Mm -hmm. But if that was the case, that would have been really interesting to explore, but they just didn't make that explicit enough that that was what they were trying to do when they were treating this period of history. So. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I completely agree. And I remember being very confused by just that one remark, because that is the only time it's raised in the series. I suppose that was probably for a reason in that they didn't really want it to be about race, perhaps. Um, I thought it would have just been better if they'd left it as race blind and not explained it, um, mm. because that they kind of opened a can of worms and then just like didn't really um, <laughs> kind of yeah. explain it at all. Um yeah, so I think it would have been completely fine if it had just been cast racially blind and we would have still loved it the exact same. Um, or yeah. if they'd gone into it properly and like fleshed it out, um, like how you were saying. But yeah. but I, I really like that they did um, have um, like black characters in, in kind of main leading roles, like the, the Queen and... Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name now. Sexy Regis. Simon. Oh, yeah, Sexy Simon. Clearly, <laughs> I was objectifying him too much to remember the name. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's basically our view on that. But I wonder how they'll explore it in future seasons. I wonder if they'll yeah. treat race differently, or if they'll make it more of a feature of the plot. Um, I'd be interested to see how that pans out because it has been confirmed for a second season already. And it's just nice how they very they very deliberately brought in other modern twists um, or mm -hmm. what we might call modern twists. So I know that you, you love the string quartet playing an Ariana, an Ariana, oh my <laughs> gosh, Ariana Grande song, like rearranged as a sort of waltz number because um, they go to all these really fancy balls, but they basically play like modern pop hits in yeah. classical style. Um, so I thought that was really nice as well. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, I devoured it in a matter of days. Don't know about you. Yeah, me too, super quickly. I just, I, yeah. I loved, um, exactly like you were saying, I love the string quartet. I love the, the slightly more blinged up co costumes, like having sparkles mm. on the costumes and stuff. It just made it such like a treat to watch. I, did, I thought, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely enjoyed it very much. Um, mm. If you haven't watched it, would recommend. Yeah, I think it's been one of the most successful Netflix series ever as well. Yeah, so I think partly because of the timing, because it hit, it hit in the slump between Christmas and New Year when no one really had anything else to do. And it was sort of the coronavirus. I don't want to say heyday because that makes it sound like it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was kind of that stage of lockdown life where you were sort of like, okay, nothing to do but sit at home and watch Britain. Yeah. So there you go. So, Ja, what have you been reading recently? Got anything to recommend? Yes, I actually recently finished a novel called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I think it's her second novel. And it came out in June 2020. Um, and it was just, it was a really quick read for me, which means that it was really compelling and the narrative moved really quickly and everything. It's based 
in a fictional small town in Louisiana, in the South America, which is called Mallard, like the duck, if you oh, will. Yeah. And this town was founded by a freed slave in 1848 and has essentially existed since then as a community of black people who are very light skinned. And over time, it's basically happened that they become more and more prejudiced against people who have darker skin and also their children have lighter and lighter skin. Um, so it's all about that kind of theme of color, colorism in America, um, which I think has been a theme throughout American literature. I think Toni Morrison um, has done stuff on that as well. So it's in that tradition. The plot follows these identical twin sisters called Stella and Desiree, who are growing up in the 1940s and 50s. And they are very light skinned. They're described as creamy skinned and hazel eyed, but they have completely dis um, disparate personalities, even though they look identical. So Stella is quite quiet and hardworking and very reserved. And Desiree is less academic, but she's really outgoing and more talkative. And as children, they witness a, I don't want to give away anything, but they witness a really violent racist murder, oh um, which basically affects them in very different ways and has an impact on their life that plays out over decades. So they leave this town, they leave Mallard and eventually separate. Again, won't get the details, but essentially Stella begins living as a white woman because visually she looks like that light skinned and hiding her past that she's from this, from a black family and also from a black community, while Desiree continues life as a black woman. Um, and essentially, as you'd expect, Stella's decision has a huge impact on the course of her life. And the novel is basically about her hiding that secret and the impact it has on her life and her relationships with people, especially with the daughter that she goes on to have because she marries a, a white guy. And there's pretty direct comparisons, I'd say, between how it would be to live as a white woman and how it would be to live as a black woman at that time in America. I mean, in terms of how much money they have, the men they end up with, um, their family relationships, how they're treated. I mean, it's really spelled out in, at times, quite disturbing terms. Um, but as a story, I just thought it was a really inventive way of exposing racism in America and in quite sinister ways, like because people think she's white, Stella, sees and hears a lot more everyday pernicious racism in the white suburban area that she lives in, uh, this would be in the 1960s, than Desiree might come into contact with because people assume that she's black. Um, and it was just, it was really in-depth character study. It really goes into their sense of identity. And there's a really well done subplot about uh, transgender lives and drag queens in 1980s LA, mm -hmm. which was a really nice contrast because you get it's sort of a, a period piece in that way that it just kind of moves throughout American history through these quite specific um, sort of family snapshots. And there's a thread there of, of identity as kind of a performance, like Stella's performing her identity as a white woman and the drag queens are kind of performing their gender identity. Um, so I just thought it, it tackled those themes really well and I would just recommend it because it was a very, it was a very compelling and interesting read and it was easy to read and the plot moved at a really good pace and so it wove in all these big ideas in a way that I don't want to say easily digestible because that makes it sound like, I don't know, like it was lunch, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so I thought, yeah, that was great and it has a really nice cover as well, so it's got a kind of a graphic design on the cover that sort of has these two faces. Um, against each other, which I just really appreciated. So, yeah. So cool. Now it's time for Nice Nuggets of News, a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by. So, Jar, have you got any nice nugs for me this week? Yes, I have a nice nug from stateside, from sunny California. A um, couple of weeks ago in San Francisco, people moved a whole house six blocks 
by rolling it on wheels. <gasps> no How way. How is that? Yeah, way. So <laughs> this two-story Victorian building known as Englander House, mm, themed, we're in England mm. and we're discussing it, um, it had been vacant for a few years and the site where it stood in the city was being marked out for a new housing block. So instead of demolishing it, they just kind of like hoisted it up and then just like rolled it through the streets. That's so nice. At a pace of less than one mile per hour. God, that must have taken a while. <laughs> I know. I think it, yeah, it did take a while. And also it cost loads of money. It cost the equivalent of like 280 grand oh. to move it six blocks. Might so. as well have bought a new house, really. I know, yeah, but I think it's, I think over there, I feel harsh saying this about America, but it is kind of low-key true. I think because they don't have that many old things, like mm. here, we have loads of houses that are Victorian, Yeah. whereas there, they don't have that many, so I think it's more like sacred, so it's more like yeah. an artifact they want to preserve. Um, but yeah, it was very exciting, apparently it was like parade vibes when they were moving it, and everyone kind of came out on the street and had a good time oh so, that's lovely okay. yeah really nice but um would you have your entire house moved um if it was just six blocks down the road maybe not if it was like my house moved into somewhere where there was better weather or like near the beach or something then yeah probably <laughs> yeah because you I always forget that you love selling sunset so you yeah. happily live in, in California I want to be in yeah. LA guys I want to be in the sun tragic yeah <laughs> but yeah I don't know if I put in the effort of pushing my own house one mile an hour um I'm not strong enough physically to do <laughs> what about you Sean would you, don't you... Say. <laughs> would you move your house or do you want to stay um, in Essie? I don't <laughs> I don't think so but mainly because I I think it's like my slight obsessive streak but I really enjoy I used to really like this at uni as well like when you'd move from home to uni and you'd have that day where you're just like choosing where you're going to put all your stuff and like unpacking getting settled into the new place so if you move your entire house you kind of lose that because yeah. you've just got exactly the same layout and exactly the same stuff in a whole new location so I just like the organizing bit yeah so I'd, why not I'd spice like it up that. you know yeah exactly it. yeah mm, change is good you need to embrace change This is Ask Gen Z. We're here for all your troubles and dilemmas. Bringing our combined 46 years of experience on this earth to give you the best advice we can. So, welcome everybody to the first edition of our new segment. Uh, so, in this segment we've asked people to submit their dilemmas to us and then we're going to solve them for you. Woohoo! We're going to um, try. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to do our best. Um, so, as always, um, all submissions can be anonymised and we will be releasing details of how to submit um a dilemma to us on social media very shortly so stay tuned if you want the chance to get your dilemma uh, heard on this podcast we would love to answer it so yeah please uh, get thinking get your thinking caps on uh so Jar, get your thinking caps on <laughs> dust them off get them on your noggins <laughs> and get sending those dilemmas um so what have we got this week so i'm very excited about this one yeah so this is from a person who calls themselves Captain Conflicted, which I love. Um, and they are living in a house that includes a couple as part of their housemate, mm. which makes the rent a lot cheaper because each person in the couple pays the full amount, but they share a room. Ooh. And basically, in the last few months, the couple has been going through a bit of a tricky patch and Captain Conflicted is closer to the girl. Um, it's a girl and a boy going out and has been having conversations with the girl where she says that she wants to break up mm. the first part of the dilemma is how much should captain conflicted encourage a breakup because right. they do actually say they low-key don't believe in love but they want the best for this couple and they can see that they're not happy together and then the second part of the dilemma is it would be 200 quid more expensive per month if the couple does break up and one of them left because then the rent for everyone would go up so is it terrible if captain conflicted encouraged them to stay together to save on rent bearing in mind it's another seven months of the tenancy that is so, quite a dilemma yeah so should we take it bit by bit first yeah. of all how do you feel about 
friends encouraging breakups? Um, I think this one is a bit of a tricky one because ultimately I don't know how much you can do as a friend to um, to influence them basically yeah. like, I, I'm not sure how much you can say that will really change their mind and mm. I think usually when somebody gives you advice even though you'll listen to them and you'll kind of take on their point of view you're not going to just go and do it unless you, it's something that you actually really want to do deep down yeah um, so I think it's great that she's been there for her friend and she's been talking to her and that's probably enough that the friend probably doesn't need anything more than just like an ear to listen to their problems yeah and I don't know how and that's much... true yeah how much would um would you like be influenced by your friend if they were like yeah you should break up would you go and do it I mean you probably wouldn't if you were happy so mm. if, if she influences them it's probably something they were already going to do what were you going to say no I think that's absolutely true and also they say Captain Conflicted says in this message that their tactic so far has just been to listen and kind of hedge their bets in mm. what they say but I think the, the core thing is that, that people do just want to be heard, don't they? When they're going through a tricky patch, like sometimes they want to, I don't know, they just want someone to lean on a bit and someone, problem problem shared is a problem halved, yeah. as they say. And I agree that sometimes when you come down really heavy with like advice, well, in my experience, maybe it's just because I give terrible <laughs> advice, I don't know, but people rarely take it. People yeah. just do what they're going to do. Like they enjoy having talked through the problem with you and maybe have got your perspective on things, got your view on things, maybe bringing your experience to what they're going through. But ultimately, they're not going to really be that molded by what you say. Yeah, I agree very much. Um, how... And also in this in this scenario, it could actually really backfire which can also happen in any situation to be honest mm -hmm. if you're like yes he's trash get rid of him and then they, I don't know they could get back together if she does do it or True. she could turn around and say like no he's the love of my life and I'm gonna marry him in an underwater wedding next week like <laughs> you just don't know what people are gonna do sorry that's just where I saw loads of pictures from an underwater wedding cool. anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah and then the second the second part it'll be 200 quid more expensive if they do break up. It's a dangerous conflation of money and romance, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I do definitely see the temptation of just saying to her, like, oh, it's fine, you guys are great together, why not if it's just, you know, those seven months and then after that she can break up with him, you know, and then we can all mm. keep our money. Um, but I can't, I think it's just what's going to happen is going to happen. Like, mm. they'll just have a fight one day and break up or they'll just stay together and it will unfortunately be nothing to do with Captain Conflicted, I think. Um, mm. What do you think about it? I think let's not underestimate, like, their awareness of the situation. True. Because if you're a couple living in a house, like, full disclosure, I've been there, I've been a couple living in a house, and Ooh. you're very aware, like, if you have a fight, there's no real, like, private space. So they must know that like other people sense the tension and other people know oh, that it's so not going nice. so great. So, and they will be aware of the money issue, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think from that perspective, it will be quite dire if they decide to break it off before the seven months are done and to move out. And remember they're sharing a room. So that is crazy intensity for lockdown as well. Yeah, to be spending all that time with someone and they're like in your space all the time. And you don't have even have like a separate space that you can move into and just be like, you're annoying me today. Um, so I think they will be very aware of that. And I think it will be a measure of how difficult they're finding it within their relationship if they do decide to break up. And if that's the case, then it's clearly so like horrible and tough that that is the right decision for them to make. Yeah. Um, which is possibly not what Captain Conflicted wants to hear because that's like 1,400 quid down the drain. Yeah. But it's the cost of human happiness the cost of human happiness is 1400 pounds exactly um yeah I, just on your point about lockdown I think if I had to give Captain Conflicted some advice it would be just if possible to get some space from it all because it sounds like it's weighing on him or her um having to listen to like the complaining and the arguing and stuff yeah and maybe um 
it would be better for their own mental health to like have a breather from the house if possible which is not really yeah. possible at the moment so it's quite shit advice sorry babes um yeah but also for the couple if they are living in one room maybe if they get a bit of space from each other they'll have a better time you never know yeah i think that's so true if one of them can manage to bubble with another friend of yeah. theirs or something that would be really helpful i think for everyone involved and it must just be generally like such a nightmare to be in any kind of shared house situation during the past year mm. it's just so crazy intense and you're around these people all the time they're not your family so you can't just turn around and like say you're being really annoying yeah back off <laughs> um so I, I yeah i can't imagine how difficult that must have been um so i mean what what have we really offered there <laughs> in advice uh get some space which is impossible um what don't try and influence them because you can't influence and just like listen Listen. to their problems yeah (laughs) put yourself maybe we'll get better (laughs) maybe we'll get better at this over time (laughs) yeah fingers crossed welcome to from a list to gen z the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities. So the mega news of this week, oh, that was a pun, I didn't mean it to be, um, was about Harry and Meghan's interview on Oprah, which I actually haven't seen, despite all the coverage. No, I didn't watch it, but I know you watched it. So what are your takeaways? What are your Uh, thoughts? I was glued to the screen. I watched it with mum and we were shook, honestly, through most of it. We had moments where we turned to each other open mouth like oh my gosh this is crazy um yeah so I think takeaways from it um the two main kind of big sign know stories that have come out following the um interview surrounding like racism in the royal family um namely the mm. kind of claim that um someone in the royal family asked the Meghan and Harry how uh, dark the skin of their uh, like yeah. their child could be um and Megan talking about her suicidal thoughts. Um, I found both of those yeah. really difficult, kind of difficult to watch, and I really sympathised with her. And I have to say, like, I do really 100% believe her. I've been talking even about whether we believe her is dumb, because why would you not believe mm. someone if they're telling you what they're telling you? Yeah. Um, and I think that, quite frankly, I'm not surprised at all about there being a bit of racism in the royal yeah. family. Like members of the royal family are very old and it's such a stuffy institution i mean everyone's been to eton and um there's just nothing really modern and woke about it is there Mm. um so yeah have to say i'm not surprised about those things um there are a couple of other aspects of it that i found like kind of almost funny i know that sounds really poor taste given what i've just talked about but the um they had for example i don't know if you've seen this because it wasn't maybe in the the news reports so much but they had like a chicken coop have you seen anything about that yeah (laughs) so the interview took place in somebody else's garden i think it was somebody called gay some something like a actress or something like that so they just borrowed someone's garden um but then there was a scene where oprah was like in the chicken coop with Megan and harry and like playing with the chickens it was quite weird to be honest and archie wasn't even there but it was, um, the chicken coop says, like, Archie's chick in, as in, like, in, I-N-N, oh. which is cute. But but um, there was, like, a voiceover of Oprah talking about it. She was like, these are some hens that Megan and Harry have recently saved from factory farming. <laughs> and it was just, like, so... Wait, that's a weird environmental flex to introduce into the whole mix. It was so weird. It just seemed rather um, kind of strategically placed there to kind of show how philanthropic yeah. they were and stuff um right okay and also there was there was this narrative that you've probably seen about harry being freed from the royal family and oh, um yeah megan being like freeing him and i definitely felt that there was some kind of like connection between the chickens and <laughs> megan and harry like being freed from the factory farm kind of vibe um uh, i think he that had was his wind weird. clipped before exactly so free <laughs> yeah um I thought that was maybe a bit too much. And there's also, which you have probably seen from memes, etc. Uh, she talks about the Little Mermaid and she says... Um, no, I haven't, I 
have you not? Stuff. Where is this incited <laughs> coverage? This is the information I need. So she says, um, she's like, oh, it's, it suddenly dawned on me while I was watching The Little Mermaid. Like, the, the princess marries the prince, but she has to lose her voice. <laughs> oh wow yeah and then she says oh but Powerful. you know at the end of the film she gets her voice back and like basically says that's like me get, getting my voice back now oh. um now at, the real yeah. question is who's ursula the sea witch oh. in this narrative good question now that yeah because also ha- having not watched it you probably you might not have seen but they're super um like overly nice about the queen like everything every time okay. the queen is mentioned they're like she's a babe i mean they don't quite say that but <laughs> even megan is like she's lovely she covered with a blanket once in the car like she's basically the grandmother Aww. i never had kind of vibe so there's no like no bad words about the queen but the rest of them it's like they're horrible racists. Really? Um, no, That's not paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. And not quite, I mean, he, but William and Charles are definitely not in Harry's good books from the impression wow. I got. Wow, yeah. And this is the sad thing about it is that, I mean, obviously it's horrible because she's had to suffer so much, but it's it's a sticky situation to have to basically leave your, your family for the sake of your wife like that is such a difficult situation to be in for harry like all this stuff about thinking of them as royals in the abstract versus thinking about them as people mm. which i'm gonna be honest i still really struggle to do like i still yeah. think of them as like characters but they're not yeah i agree <laughs> yeah i think that's kind of something the the interview um showed up as well that, that i don't quite think that megan had um definitely I don't think she'd understood maybe the difference between the public and private side of the royal family because yeah. going to meet the queen for the first time in the car and Harry asks her do you know how to curtsy and Meghan is like taken aback completely taken aback by this because she, she's straight away like well it's your grandmother obviously <gasps> and yeah and she really thinks that that all the kind of the niceties curtsying and calling people like your majesty and stuff she thinks that there's something that you do in public but not something that you do in private um so she really doesn't get that is really interesting yeah um and do you think do you think that's partly like the american versus british divide like in the understanding of how the royal family works because i feel like it's almost like a cliche here that for any reason that anyone might be coming into contact with the queen or if she's coming to visit your town or to do the ceremony or whatever, it's like, oh, do you know how to curtsy? Like, mm, yeah, you but get trained. She, yeah. Um, yeah, I think... So she had no idea. Oh, bless her. Yeah, I think there was definitely maybe a bit of a conflation in her mind about how um, celebrities are and how the royal family is because right. I think the way that um, a celebrity family wouldn't, I don't know, be like, wow, dad, you're, you know, dame... Um, dad, yeah. dad being a dame lord, I don't know what I'm talking about. But, but if you're, if you're like Sir Elton John, like his husband's yeah. would be like Sir Elton. But <laughs> people, when you meet them, would obviously be yeah. respectful. But it's just not not the same thing. I mean, I don't think Prince Philip is like curtsying and bowing, but maybe he is. Yeah. You never know. I mean, if Harry is bowing and calling her mm. Your Majesty, we don't even know. Yeah. But yeah, that was also something kind of interesting that came up. Well, that's excellent. Thank you for telling me about the chicken coops. <laughs> And about the Little Mermaid reference, because those are two <laughs> things that I honestly have heard not a peep about, <laughs> and they seem very important in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Yeah. <laughs> very symbolic. They're very symbolic. Yeah. Welcome to this. Or that. Where we pit two popular items against each other. And see which one comes out on top. everybody welcome to this brand new segment that we're unveiling today are you excited yeah. i'm excited yeah i am so excited <laughs> so today's topic of this or that is going to be wide leg versus skinny jeans a big yeah. a hot topic at the moment because mm. um a big TikTok trend that millennials are seeing is that Gen Z, or Gen Z, as we like to call them, don't like skinny jeans. They're over the skinny jean. And a lot of millennials are pretty angry about this. Um, mm. So we decided to to take it to the people. We did a little Instagram <laughs> poll and we asked you guys what you thought. Are you a skinny jean fan or do you like the wide leg? 
Um, the results. And I what were the results? The results speak for themselves. We were 77% wide leg fans, but 23% were still into the skinnies. So. Mm. What we I love how you you've delivered that whole thing as if you're an actual news reporter. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you. you. I'm living so out my dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I think I'm just representative of this whole trend because I'm obviously a slave to whatever fashion is mm. happening at any given moment. I have no opinions of my own. So <laughs> when we first went to uni, I used to wear black skinny jeans like every day of my life, and they were tight as I was about to say tight as sin, but that is not a phrase. <laughs> Let's make it a phrase. I yeah. like it. Um, they were really, really tight. And now I have completely retired them because mm-hmm. I just think, you know, it's not of the moment. And I actually, I think part of the, the straw that broke the camel's back was I had quite a stressful experience in those very jeans. Oh, really? When I was at St Pancras station well actually I wasn't at St Pancras station I was heading to St Pancras train station in London mm-hmm. I was about to get the train to visit my boyfriend in Sheffield and I was on the train from my local station to St Pancras and it literally did that thing where it just stops in the middle of nowhere and like mm-hmm. won't go to the next station was so stressed got off at the next it stopped for like 10 minutes and the whole time I was like okay if it stops for like two more minutes I'll be fine oh, no. if it stops for like one more minute I'll be fine and then the threshold passed and I was like okay I'm definitely gonna miss this train and you know when you're just like at uni and you have no money and there's no there's no like blanket for if you need to buy another train ticket it's like okay this is annoying yeah. I mean I'm saying that as a really dramatic thing which is obviously not because I would just call my mom and cry but you know what I mean they're really expensive <laughs> those tickets though yeah exactly it felt very high stakes at the time yeah. is what I'm trying to say <laughs> So I was really stressed and then got off at Edmund Castle and went to get the tube yeah. because I thought that it would be quicker to get it that way. So like was on the tube, like, you know, when you're stressed on the tube and you're just like sweating and it's just like really stressed and uh. no one else there can share your vibes because like everyone's just ignoring everyone. And if you look stressed, then people think you're a weirdo. So it was just like bad. And then I got off the tube and I was like ready to get off. I was staged at the doors. As soon as they opened, I was out there like a shot, like Mm -hmm. with my bag, running, 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 ran all the way through the station, sweating in my skinny jeans. They did not Uh... help the situation at all. Horrible. Got to the escalator and was going to be so late for this train. that I was legging up the escalator um, again in the skinny jeans, very constrictive, not the ideal outfit for this whole maneuver. And obviously I was panicking and running at the same time so I like tripped over on the escalator tore through my skinny jeans on the shin oh my god and then I was obviously like borderline hysterical at this point going up the stairs and as I went by some random guy was like that's why they tell you not to run on the escalator and I was like can you not see this crisis what the hell? I would have flipped anyway. my shit. I would have been so annoyed. That is the last thing you need when you're having an emergency. Some stupid, some stupid man. Some stupid man. Anyway, so then, ran to the station, the platform, whatever, whole way, carrying this bag, so straight, stressed and sweaty. Streddy? Is that a word? No. It should be. <laughs> Arrived at the gate, clearly looked like way more harried than I had any right to be because as I said at the beginning, like, the upshot of this was literally that I would just have to get the next train, which mm-hmm. was in an hour. <laughs> don't know why I was so like, swept up in the moment. Anyway, so I got to the um, gate, and the guy at the gate was standing there, and as he was, like, coming, you know, when they, like, make it, they come to the gate to make it clear that you, like, can't move any further oh, <laughs> to yeah. reach the maximum level. Um, and I saw the train doors closing and it <gasps> no! rolling away slowly into the distance. And something about the aesthetics of that literally just made me cry on the spot. So clearly oh, no. this guy also thought that it was far more high stakes than it in fact was. Um, but he was very nice to me, he gave me a bottle of water, which in itself tells you how much I was sweating. Oh. And um did like did a squiggly line on my ticket that meant I could get the next train for free <gasps> that is so nice that really restores yeah. my faith in humanity I mean I know the yeah. point of the story was about the jeans but <laughs> I feel like that's just such a good after the man was rude to you I'm so glad that the man was nice Karma, I know, you know? That out. yeah although I mean it was also let's be honest it was really playing on the whole like 
hysterical young woman thing. I lent into that more than I perhaps should have yeah, done. Yeah, I mean, I definitely world. do. When in doubt, cry, I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can be used to your advantage, ladies. Hear me out. We've got to use the patriarchy. Yeah, that's what we can. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. anyway, and then I sewed up. I sewed up the skinny jeans after that. I sewed up the rip. But, okay. You know, it was gone. The glamour was gone. Never because... the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a very stressful experience. Um. I can't say I've had the same with, with my jeans, but I, I was never really a skinny jean person because, to be frank, they just don't suit me. Like, I'm not blessed with a long leg or a slim ankle. And like, if you don't have either of <laughs> those things, they just don't suit you. Like, it's just not going to be a look. So I was so glad when a wide leg jeans became, not necessarily super wide, but maybe just even the mum jean came yeah. into fashion because it's just not hideously unflattering for me you know yeah, I think you I, have some good trow actually you have a good trow game thank you um mm. yeah I think just for me they always make my legs look short because they're so tight and blocky yeah but a wider leg is more flattering I find yeah I'm pretty com- pretty comfortable a bit more room yeah. for maneuver yeah, see, um, if I was running in that situation, I was in a wide leg, maybe I would have got there in time. Yeah. You just don't know. And a bit more air could have circulated in the leg. Yeah, <laughs> so sweaty. <laughs> but I do find wide leg jeans get a bit chilly if, you, um, if you're just, like, in, in winter, for example. The air goes up the leg. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is a bit annoying. Um, Thanks for that explanation of how the seasons work. <laughs> Well, I I was about to like get really deep into my preferences and talk about how I often wear leggings under my jeans, which is really lame. No, but... I was about to mention that as well, but then I didn't want to sound like a granny, but now you've done it. Yeah, so. we're now both grannies. <laughs> judge us, guys, judge us. <laughs> um, yeah, what did you think about the poll? Were you surprised that so many people were in favour of the wide? Or I was actually surprised that the skinny was as high as 23%. Mm, I kind of was as well. Yeah. Because I don't know, I'm trying to think of like people of our generation, like my friends. I don't, I'm not sure I know that many people who wear a skinny now. Um, yeah, no, it is, it's hard to think about it, think of people. And also, um, it was kind of a slightly misleading poll because those aren't the only two um, jean shapes, obviously. There's yeah, flares. Let's not discriminate. Yeah, <laughs> got to be inclusive here. Um, so, like, flares have become quite a big thing recently as well as like straight which I would say kind of is in the wide camp but for me mm. personally I don't love a super wide leg um because I think there's just quite a look and whenever I'm wearing them I feel like whoa I'm really wearing a big trouser I'm in the here. disco I'm yeah. in the rolling disco with other <laughs> exactly and sometimes flares can be a bit they just, just feel really showy in them I don't know if you get the same thing I'm like my pant legs I just worry <laughs> <laughs> I worry about them trailing in the mud yeah another consideration i think a crop is good a cropped wide leg personally yeah. but yeah sure so slim ankles of yours yeah <laughs> except they're not slim at all right cry <laughs> um but yeah let us know your opinions on the skinny versus wide leg um do you think skinny are exclusively for older people now Jar, like millennials or do you think a, a, a gen z could still wear a skinny in a cool way I think so, because, for example, there's a time and a place for a skinny, because you can't wear... I have some knee-high cowgirl boots wow. you can't wear with any other jeans. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to wear trowel with them, you've got to go for the skinny. And then, obviously, you look like you're going to the rodeo, but that's a vibe in itself. Yes. So, mm. so yeah, in conclusion, a skinny jean... There, there's a time and a place for a skinny jean, and wear whatever yeah. you want, but maybe don't <laughs> wear wide leg jeans when you're running for the train, because... Yeah, um, and if you do, just you can always wear tights underneath if you get chilly. Yeah. That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlette on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.